Good evening. Um, this evening, we are continuing with our series, This Coming Kingdom, and um, focusing on the different parables of Jesus. We are looking at what the kingdom of God looks like and what the expectations for us are in living this out. Jesus spoke a lot through parables, and I really felt as I was preparing this week that God actually really wanted to stir our hearts for what he can say in something that we've all heard so many times. Um, sometimes when it comes to something we've heard before, we can actually just forget how good and true and real these things are. Um, the reality of these parables are real because the kingdom of God is real. Jesus is building his kingdom right here, right now. Jesus wants us to envisage and see things as he sees them. He wants his people to greater understand the qualities of his kingdom so that we can better see the beauty of God's character and understand how we are supposed to live. So I'm also just going to pray before we start. Um, God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword and that it is life-giving. And I pray, Lord, that you will just speak to us now. Um, help me, God, speak to us, God, and we thank you for your good and gracious words. Amen. Um, so while I was preparing for this tonight, um, I came across a very helpful explanation of the purposes of parables. A parable is a house in which the reader or listener is invited to take up residence. We are now called to look onto the world through the windows of this new house in which we now live. What do I mean by this? It means we are not supposed to hear the teachings and remain the same. We are meant to, they are meant to challenge us. They demand a response from us. We are now somewhere different and we have, to, we have moved house and we are now looking onto everything else from a new and better viewpoint. This is a good analogy. We live down in Gorgie, and we have a very glamorous view of the Tyne Castle Stadium car park. So if I had a friend come and visit me, I would not point them out of my living room window and say, well, there you go, that's Edinburgh. No. I'd take them to Blackford Hill or Arthur's Seat, and we'd climb up to the top, and we'd see a magnificent and clear view of Edinburgh, and then I could say... There's Edinburgh. This is what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be moved by the realities of his kingdom. He wants us to respond and to live in the truth of them. So now that we're standing at the top of Arthur's seat, what is the view that Jesus is trying to give us here? How is he trying to shift our thinking so that we see things from heaven's perspective and not an earthly perspective? So let's read Jesus' words together. Um, if you could turn me to Luke 15, 1 to 24. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country where he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine came across in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough food? I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The parable of the lost sheep, coin and son are referred to by Jesus as a single parable. The same message and point is being presented with different facets and emphasis. What is the message? Jesus is responding to the Pharisees' accusations that he is hanging out with the wrong crowd. They cannot comprehend why a holy Messiah would surround himself with such an unholy bunch of people. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, goes on to show them in these three lost parables that they have a time castle car park view of God's kingdom. He wants to shift their thinking to see the higher and better understanding that God's kingdom is full of outcasts and sinners and unlikely people. God willingly and lovingly saves and restores these people because of how precious they are to him. Jesus is the shepherd who desperately looks to return his lost sheep. Jesus is the light shining into the dark room and the woman diligently sweeping the floor because he knows the coin has value. Jesus is the father who runs as fast as he possibly can to embrace a lost son, restoring him to his rightful place as a child. God's desire and willingness to save the lost are undeniably the focus of these parables. So let's look at three ways that these parables shift our outlook um, of God's kingdom to be more in line with his. Everyone has value and worth. Put yourself in Jesus's audience and think about who Jesus is speaking to. You've got a completely godless crowd. You've got the Pharisees, those that are hypocritical and arrogant. You've got the tax collectors, universally hated people. These are people are selfish and greedy. You've got sinners, immoral, unlovable people. At a guess, I'm going to say, not your first thoughts, what do you want to hang out with someone? A crowd that from an earthly perspective are not valued socially, culturally, morally, and are worth very little to anyone. This crowd of outcasts and misfits are the exact people that Jesus wants to lavish this message of love, grace, and acceptance on. The very people that the Pharisees are keeping at arm's length are the people that Jesus sees from afar and runs and embraces to welcome into his kingdom. In saying that they are like sheep, he is saying, listen, you're my sheep. I want to protect you. I want to care and comfort you. I don't want any harm to come to you and I will carry you on my shoulders because I love you. Like a lost coin, he is saying, I've retrieved you 
from the dust and the dirt so that you might know your great worth, so that you know that you are a treasure of mine. Like a son, he says, you are my child. I give you my robe of distinction. I give you my ring so that you can know that you are rightfully in my family. I give you my sandals because you are not a slave, you are a son. You are beloved and more precious than you could ever possibly know. This is worth you could not imagine. And this is value that you will never experience apart from the goodness of God. This is good news. How does Jesus want you and I to see the world? He wants us to willingly, lovingly and generously welcome people into this kingdom. He wants us to point people to their true worth that is found in Christ alone. He wants us to see every human, every individual we come into contact with as Jesus sees them, their beauty and value, their significance and worth. Despite God's majesty and holiness, his universal power and greatness, he cares about every single human being. Think about that for a second. That's amazing. That is incredible. That's huge. God is not just a little bit occasionally concerned about the human race. He, in all his glory, is concerned for us. He thinks about us. He wants us to know the depths of his love for us. He cares about every single part of my life and your life and the life of your friends and neighbours, your colleagues, the stranger you pass on the street, the person that is new to church and that person that you find a little bit difficult. God cares about that person. Psalm 8.4 says, What is man that you're mindful of them? The son of man that you care for him. Well, because of how precious man is to God, because of the worth he bestows on them, we are the apple of his eye. The kingdom of God is not a holy club, not full of all singing, all dancing, perfect humans with no faults, flaws or problems. No, the kingdom of God is full of weak, lost, undeserving people like me whom I, who needs Jesus to rescue them, to save them and who give them great worth. Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, For while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Where are you looking for your worth? Where do you find your value? People are looking for worth. They want to be remembered and acknowledged. They want to be valued and affirmed by their peers on social media, through relationship, through the right career. These all pale into insignificance when put next to the worth that God has on you. If you're not finding your worth and value in Christ, you're looking in the wrong place. You can search and search and search, but your true worth is found in God because you are made by him for his glory. Whoever you are and whatever you've done, I want to assure you this evening that you are the object of the loving shepherd's search. The kingdom of God welcomes you because you're God's handiwork. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God takes complete delight in you. You are created in the very image of God and you can be redeemed and made new by the blood of Christ. This great news is something we need to declare to everyone we meet. We need to demonstrate in every possible way and we need to remind ourselves of it and we need to point people to it. God is the one who does the rescuing. I don't know if you've hung around much with sheep. I haven't. And I did, in fact, Google sheep behavior. And so I'm really concerned about what 
ads I'm going to get on my laptop now, but that's fine. The first thing I read from the veterinary manual I read told me this. Sheep are a prey species and their only defense is to flee. If you leave a sheep alone, you let them do, and you just let them do their own thing, they are immediately a target for a bigger, more dangerous animal. Sheep aren't much of a fighting animal. They're not going to kick like a kangaroo. They haven't got antlers of a stag. They haven't got the speed of a cheetah or the jaws of a lion. The only defense they have is to flee. One of my parents' neighbors down in Somerset told me that he once had a small flock of sheep that he bought essentially to cut his grass, which is probably the most Somerset sentence I could ever say to you. He told me (laughs) that they had specifically one sheep, aptly named Dopey, that always seemed to find itself in trouble. He told me of the sheep hopping fences, getting its head stuck in gates, um, and one time nearly drowning in a tub of water because, for some reason, the sheep got into the water and then just decided not to swim. So, yeah, what did the sheep need? It needed help. Help that it couldn't fashion on its own. It needed, in each case, to be rescued by someone. In these parables, Jesus tells us that, yes, we have gone astray, but wait for it. Jesus can rescue us. The kingdom of God is a place where every single person has entered through, has entered through Jesus. It has been by his saving act of dying on the cross for our sins that means any of us get to experience the glory of his rescue. The kingdom of God is not a matter of our effort or our willpower. It's a rescue plan for the lost. Let's look at the son who left home. He first asked for his inheritance, which is pretty much him saying he wants his father to drop dead. And then he goes and he wastes and squanders. He makes bad decision after bad decision. Then famine strikes and what happens? He has nothing. He is in the mud and mire and he is feeding swine. He has moved step by step further away from any form of help and from the refuge that he once had. He's fallen into being a slave as a hired worker when he should be a son of a loving father. So he goes to his father to help because he can't find aid anywhere else. And he arrives with what looks like an unsolvable situation. He's unclean, he's covered in dirt with regrets, guilty and heavy laden. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quick the best rope and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We cannot miss Jesus's intentions here. He is showing us how utterly different he is from us. God meets our wayward, disobedient, dirty souls with grace upon kindness upon grace. The son is a long way off when the father sees him, but the father throws all decorum to the wind and he legs it down a dirt road to meet him. I look entirely unelegant when I run. Most people do, but Jesus runs He runs to rescue you. It says in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the only one doing the saving. 
He's the only one doing the rescuing. And me, oh my, do I need rescuing. Without the rescue of Christ, I'm dead. I am the sheep at risk of a predator. I'm the son who has to return to the pigs. With the rescue of Christ, I'm alive. I am brought into the fold. I am secured. I am redeemed and I am made new. Jesus pursues our broken lives and soul with the great news of redemption, acceptance and rescue. If we repent, turn from our own ways and return to our loving God, we are met with a God who has been waiting and willing to bring us home the entire time. The trouble that people are facing, the pain that they are feeling, the regret and shame that are weighing them down only can be lifted by the rescue of Christ. Nothing is too big or too bad that God cannot rescue you from it. Nothing is too big or bad that God is not willing to save you from it. I think we are being challenged here to see that everything we need is found in the rescue of Christ. This is an urgent message that we need to tell people of, and it is a beautiful message of healing for people. Titus 3, 3-7 encapsulates this truth so beautifully. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Thank you, God, that you are intentionally and willingly rescued me. And thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is one of grace, compassion, and mercy. God's kingdom is a kingdom of celebrating and rejoicing. One of my favorite things about this passage is something that I think we could easily miss. What was the response of Jesus and the response of heaven in each of these parables? What is his inherent reaction and his overriding emotion? It's joy. We are told that when the shepherd returns carrying the sheep and the woman finds her silver coins, her silver coin, that they come home and say to their friends and family, rejoice with me because I have found my sheep, I have found my coin. Gets even better because we are told that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We are told that the angels are rejoicing, that Jesus is rejoicing, that the Father is rejoicing, and we are also to rejoice. In the parable, the father's next response after hugging his son is to say, okay, now we're going to party. He says, get that fattened calf cooking, put some music on because we're about to celebrate. What an amazing truth. There is a special type of joy in heaven when the lost are found. There is a specific joy that the father has and that we have also when God gets to pour out his grace and acceptance on those who don't deserve it. His kingdom is a kingdom defined by joy. If you are a Christian, this party happened when you came to know Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And you know what? You're still in that party. That's amazing. Um, we still get to dance and sing and rejoice over this wonderful gift of life that we have. The entire parable emphasizes and completely the, the completely overwhelming joy of God. Our lost and sinful state 
could be met with so many things, but it's met with joy. The shepherd could have just shrugged and said, that sheep will get what it deserves. The woman could have been really indifferent and left the coin. The father could have rightfully and understandably ignored and rejected the son. That's not the God we have. God's kingdom is overflowing with joy. We must not forget that Jesus was a man of joy. God is the God of joy. I think sometimes in reading the, reading the Bible, sometimes certain things are lost in translation or we have like a really mundane, dull voice in our head that's speaking to us. But I really want to implore you to hear the joy of Jesus, his voice as he speaks this over you. He speaks about, as he speaks about his salvation for you and as he speaks about his heart towards you. His kingdom is not somber or condemning. It's not boring or lifeless or limp or dull. It's rich in joy. It's matchless in mercy and it is incomparable in grace. Let's be people of this kind of heavenly joy. Let's draw people to this kingdom by demonstrating our immovable hope in Christ. And let's be thankful for this awesome gift of love and righteousness. So we're going to respond to this parable and what we've heard this evening by listening to a song. This song is called Arms Wide Open and it is written by one of Danny and I's friends called Ellen Oliver. Um, If this parable is something new to you um, and this is the first time you've heard the good news of your incredible worth to God, please just listen to the song and just reflect on its truth. Know that God wholeheartedly welcomes you to himself and know that he loves you. If you've heard this parable excuse me, a hundred times over and you just need to be reminded of its goodness. Remember that God sings over you, rejoices over you and that nothing can change that you're a child of God. And if you feel like you've been really stirred afresh by the truth that Jesus is the good news of great joy, why not just take this time to pray for those people that are in your life that you've been, that you've been praying will come to know God. Um, ask for God's heart for the lost people um, and for boldness to declare this awesome news.